cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a cold of silence and it can't go on. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 4th of December, 2008. For the newcomers, look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and on the website you'll see hundreds and hundreds of hours of talks which you can download, talks I've given in the past which hopefully will help bring the big picture together of this reality, this fake reality, really this conditioned reality into which we're all born and indoctrinated into. And I try and give you the shortcuts. Shortcuts are very important now because as you can see, everyone can see, everyone on the planet can see that big things are on the move. Big, big agendas are now manifesting openly from the top down, not from the bottom up. And you can see the coordination between countries as they all move in the same direction, which reminds me of the staff and the rod of the Pharaoh of Egypt. You see the statues with the little crook in one hand, and that was to pull the sheep, put it around its neck and pull them in the right direction. And, of course, the, the rod was to whack the sheep if it didn't comply. And we're getting it from both sides now. We're getting all this coercion through the media of terror, terror everywhere, not a place to think. And we're supposed to go all along with it and give all the rights up because the Wizard of Oz is screaming at the top of his lungs. And the more he screams and the more often he screams, the more we're supposed to believe it and cower and go along with all this loss of freedom which is coming along. So go into the website, cuttingdemetrius.com, as I say, and you'll find so much information on the big organizations behind what's happening today. And they've been on the go for an awful long time, long before any of us were born, with the same agenda. And I'll be touching on some of the proof of that tonight, later. Also look into Alan Watt Sentient, sentinel.eu, where you can get transcripts of the talks printed up. You can download them, print them up, pass them around to your friends. And at least for those who can still read from paper, people are adapting so quickly to, to, to all the e-books that are out there. An interesting phenomenon is a lot of people have told me they can retain nothing pretty well from the computer when they read the books on, on, on the computer. So it's a good idea to really try and get paper or at least download and print up and read from paper. You'll find your attention span works. Why is that? It's because there's a flicker. It's a flicker in the computer screen. You don't see it consciously, but if you stand back and use a video camera and then play back the video camera, you'll see it then. It coincides with your brainwave patterns and it's there deliberately. The propaganda will sink in and download into you, but your reasoning powers will be absent. There is nothing given to the public that is not 
in fact, a tool of the elite to maintain and further control. There's nothing given to you for your enjoyment, although you might enjoy being indoctrinated. That's what the media and the movie industry and so on is all about. Now, for those two who go to the website, cuttingthroughmatrix.com, you can also purchase books that I've written. There's DVDs, there's CDs there with lots of talks on them, with lots of information, in fact, on them. And you can help me out by purchasing them, and it's on the website how to do it. You can also donate. That keeps me going. Very important. I'll be back with more after this break. through the matrix and this world truly is full of deception people don't realize that almost everything that's put out there is to fear monger to terrify the public was dreamed up long long ago long ago the first person to mention for instance if only there were a threat from outer space then the world would have to unite as one to fight a common enemy was John Dewey you can look him up find out the school that he came from, and he was a man put in charge of the American education system a long time ago. Long time ago. You can also look into the book by Gatto on the history of education to show you what it's really all about. And he uses facts, not summarizations. And Dewey was one of the main characters that were brought over and trained from the Frankfurt School to create the perfect obedient citizen of the future. But that's who first said that. And presidents have reiterated that down through the ages, including Ronald Reagan, who mentioned it a bunch of times in his talks. Same kind of thing, you see. Now, the Club of Rome, as I've mentioned often, is the big policymaker that comes up with the big ideas, like the public are gullible, they'll believe anything if we say often enough and get enough experts to back it up. They're the guys who admit they came up with the, with the idea of global warming to unite the planet in a war. A war that would unite the planet because mankind was a threat to the planet. It would, it would kill a few birds with one stone, basically depopulation, etc. All combined. But remember, a threat from outer space it also be something other than flying saucers. You see, they really pushed that flying saucer idea. The CIA backed it to the help financially. So did the foundations. The Rockefeller Foundation funded almost every major UFO magazine out there. Why? Why would that be? Why? He likes you to read about UFOs. Is that, is that it? He's worried you, you might have nothing to fill your free time. You've got to start thinking for yourselves all the time and always ask why. Why do things suddenly appear on the bookshelves? Why in the late 80s, say, did suddenly all the New Age books with all the rituals for Wicca and so on suddenly appear across the bookshelves everywhere? Very cheap to buy. And the coven sprung up everywhere. People don't think. I, I talked to a Wiccan who, who asked me to, uh, to his own Wiccan wedding, in fact, 
I says, where do you get all these rituals from? He says, all books, he says. I says, where do you get the books? He says, the chapter's bookstore. I says, do you ever wonder why they ended up on chapter's bookstore? It hadn't dawned on them. And that's how our minds are controlled. Big money and planning goes into all culture creation. And there's nothing on the bookstores, on their shelves, that isn't authorized to be there. And as I said, you don't have to get UFOs. They thought, would the public really swallow the UFO thing? They tried, remember, many years ago with Orson Welles, the actor who broadcast across America a play, basically, on an invasion from Mars. It's always Mars, the red planet. They love red for revolution. And the little green man joke is a Masonic joke because they talk about the green man. It means nothing about Martians whatsoever. But they really thought they could possibly convince the public and they tried that experiment using the psychological division of our staff of Princeton University in, in conjunction with the CIA, the Pentagon, to convince the public this was really happening with the late night broadcast of the play of H.G. Wells's book. And what a coincidence to give Orson Welles the main lead in the radio. Now, a program, people actually went out, they panicked and tried to leave cities by the hundreds. Some people were killed during it. They believed it. Big psychological test to see if they could make the public believe anything. People were shooting at big water towers, thinking they were Martian ships. All documented. And then the government sent round people to study all these different areas to get all the effects to see what happened for their data collection, to see if it worked effectively. To find out where the weak points were and maybe to do it better the next time. But you don't need UFOs, a threat from outer space. And in every parliament in the 80s and back again today, they're screaming that we've got to protect ourselves against incoming meteorites. See, they've changed it from UFO to meteorites. Or comets, etc. And they'll tax you for this, just like they'll tax you for the carbon hot air stuff. And they talk about throwing dollars at fighting off asteroids. You're going to get soaked further and further from your wallet for these amazing schemes they dream up. But I'm trying to show you how far, how far ahead these guys plan the future. Now, here they are from the CNN.com website. It says, biological terror attack likely by 2013. Panel says, a panel says it. Must be very authoritative. And they've got the date, 2013. I wonder what week and, and month and, and hour they're talking about here. But this is, again, to terrify the public. And by the way, this article ties right in with the, the latest update from the Institute for Public Policy, which is a think tank that gives the, the data for the British military and NATO. See how they tie it all together? It's all sprung across the media, so it's all from different sources. Same topics. And this article calls a biological terror attack by 2010, panel says. It says here, December 2nd, 
terrorists are likely to use a weapon of mass destruction somewhere in the world in the next five years. No kidding. A blue ribbon panel, a blue ribbon panel, mind you, assembled by Congress has concluded. It says they're more likely to use a biological weapon than a nuclear one, and the results could be devastating, the chairman of the commission told CNN. I guess they've got another think tank working on the creation of the nuclear one. See, the consequences of a biological attack are almost beyond comprehension. It would be 9-11 times, 9-11 times, this would be joking, in 10 or 100 in terms of the number of people who will be killed, said former Senator Bob Graham said. They even know the number who's going to be killed by it. So they pick numbers out and throw in our faces and we don't even think any further. He cited the flu virus that killed millions of people in 1918 as an example. Well, no kidding. The Canadian Broadcasting Corporation did a documentary on the retrieval of live viruses from corpses buried in permafrost in Canada. And the CBC aired this documentary back in the 90s, the unearthing of a killer disease. Well worth looking up to see why and ask why, hopefully, they wanted to add this live virus in the frozen corpses, the lungs of the corpses. And also think back to another talk I've given you about the little character from Canada who at the beginning of the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia wanted to go over and help. And so by 1917, when they had their second revolution, he went over and helped them. And he helped them by giving them information and building a plant to produce viruses that would kill bacterium and other viruses. That's so far ahead of the time. And we were kept in the dark all through the Cold War about this fact that he could kill off any virus, any viral infection, or any bacterial infection by purpose-made viruses that they had had since 1917. And in 1918, this article says here, this man cited the flu virus that killed millions of people in 1918 as an example. Now, we know that any cure for anything is a latter product of weapons research. So this little character from Canada who went over with all that knowledge obviously knew how to create viruses to kill as well. But what a coincidence it breaks out about a year after he arrived. Isn't it? The world is full of coincidences. It says in this article, today it is still in the laboratory, but if it should get out into the hands of scientists who knew how to use it for a violent purpose, we could have multiple times the 40 million people who were killed 100 years ago, he said. How could he even come up with that figure? Hmm? So the U.S. government needs to move more aggressively to limit the spread of biological weapons, the commission said in its report. Now, the reasons for invading every other country that they're going to go into, still on their list, will be for this very reason. See, they're looking for more and more reasons. The weapons of mass destruction from the last lot kind of faded away in time and been kind of discredited over and over. So they get to get another reason for, for taking other countries over as part of their plan, you see. Says Graham warned that such measures would be costly, but they're not worried about, about you see, the recession or depression we're in. They're never, they're never worried about that when it comes to the military and security. 
the leadership of this country and the world will have to decide how much of a priority they place on avoiding the worst weapons in the world getting in the hands of the worst people in the world, he said. I can remember in the 19, I think it was a 19, but 1980 or so, there was a Man Alive program in Britain. It's kind of like 60 Minutes is in the U.S. And this team took you into basements, basement apartments in England that had been occupied by CIA operatives. These basements were full of cages where rats had been kept. And they found all kinds of laboratory equipment. And the conclusion was that the CIA, if Britain had, was taken over from outside or from within by communist forces, they'd release plagues within Britain. And here they are talking about all the, the wrong people having diseases. They unleash on the world. Who do you think's got all the diseases? They unleash on the world. Who do you think created them? The advanced countries spearheaded the whole movement. Canada, from World War II onwards, was the leader. The back with more after... Is that the music? I can't... I'm hearing music in the background. Yep. After this break. to show you how techniques are used, scientific techniques are used on the public daily by the media and if I have time later I want to show you how far or how long ago in reality they understood all of this and discussed these techniques and how they would use them on the general public. But before I this article, I'd like to read a little bit more on it. That's from the, it's from the CNN, talking about this, this, this coming plague, obviously, that's just going to hit us, and they've even got the date right and everything, just know what's going to happen. The best, they have the best channelers and mediums out there. And I guess to put in the tarot card guys as well. They just know, you see. But a good book to read on who led the field, and so does, in biological warfare, during and after World War II. There's a book called Deadly Allies. And it's called Canada's Secret War. Written by a Toronto Star reporter who used declassified government information. And it's enough to, that's enough to terrify you. What Canada was up to. There's a lot of dirt under the pristine snows here. But then they have better propaganda in Canada. It says here, this is Graham talking, it says, it's not going to be cheap, you see. <laughs> it's not going to be cheap. It's not going to be accomplished without some sacrifices. It won't be accomplished without putting this issue ahead of some other competing national and international goals. But I think our safety and security depend upon doing so, he added. He said, a biological attack was more likely than a nuclear one because it would be easier to carry out. See, that reminds me again of, I always think of the past and what's happened and how I learned things as I went along. And back in the 80s again, 
I stumbled into a cafe in Toronto. It was a sort of, uh, it was marked up as a sort of folk uh, song cafe that had nothing to do, so I sort of wandered in for a, for a coffee. And I sat there for a while, and someone recognized me and says, could you go up and give us a song? So I did. And I sung a couple of songs, and, and big applause in the whole. But then the leaders that ran this little club came to me and says, can you sing something more radical? And I said, well, why radical? And she said, because we're funded by the government as a radical movement. So we have to do radical songs. And I got to know these people. And then I looked into the laws, and it's a fact. When you look into the granting of, of, of the laws for putting grants out there, they were all issued to organizations and NGOs which had, and the word in the government literature was radical. They were for radical change. So the government was funding those with radical change. There's a whole feminist agenda, the anti-war movement, and so on. Here's Canada, part of NATO, on the one hand, as part of NATO and the, the Cold War and the nuclear threat. On the other hand, they're funding the opposition to it. And I wondered how many cafes were across the cities of Canada funded by the government to do the same thing. They ran both sides of it. So getting back to this article, it's the same thing here, you see. You're all going to die. You're all going to die. You're all going to die. Put yourself in our hands and we'll keep you safe. The same old thing. Used again. And they fund all opposition, the major opposition to it as well. That way they can lead them both along the same direction because it leads to compromise and then they're both in the same track. And those who are opposing it, because they follow leaders, end up end up basically giving their support to it. That's how you con them. Very old technique. And as I said, these articles come out always because some major article, which they haven't mentioned here, came out at the same time. And this one was from the Institute for Public Policy. The ones who came out and gave us all the scary stuff, the 30, 40 years of rioting for the British security organizations and the military. And this is an update to it. Shared, shared destiny is security in a globalized world. And uh, it was published on the 27th of November 2008, the interim report of the ongoing IPPR Commission on National Security in the 21st Century, an all-party commission preparing an independent national security strategy for the UK. Again, another foundation that does a strategy for this side of it, for the UK, but it's also for NATO. And when you read through it, it says, in this report, the Commission seeks to lay down the foundations, the love foundations, because of all Masons, for a rethink of the UK national security strategy for the first quarter of this century and to provide a constructive challenge to the policies and activities already being taken forward by governments. So here's an organization that's supposedly private that runs the security side of things, telling you that the government's already acting on the policies brought forward by this private organization. Back with more after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. 
support for cutting through matrix reading an article, an update to the IPPR Institute for Public Policy. The ones that guide the government decisions on all these laws are passing to take away all your freedoms and rights until you're terrified and you're begging to be saved from plagues, nuclear war, and God knows what else. Old, old strategy. The Romans used to do this, you know. They'd, whenever they were losing power in a certain area, an emperor would set the, the, the military on their own people and tell them there were, there were terrorists amongst them and saboteurs and so on. And it worked very well. And it was always to keep the people safe. Keep them safe, you see. It's never changed. The technique is never quite change it when it works. To continue this article from the Public Policy Group, it says, Conflict Prevention and Intervention in Conflict Environments and to Strengthen Multilateralism, with particular reference to regional security. Regional security is a term they use. We're split up into regions now in, in the globe. They were doing this back in the 60s, calling us regions from the United Nations, because they knew where we were all being taken as we lost our, our nationhood, you see. So now they're using it openly, and even yet people never think what they mean by a region. What, what's, what's a region? Regional security organizations, nuclear non-proliferation, and global biosecurity. So now global biosecurity is one of their big things. These guys are going to keep us safe from some nutcase, supposedly, working in his basement with some test tubes and chicken poop, creating viruses. Well, if that was the case, how could you possibly stop it, you see, with money? They have every terrorist group infiltrated by the CIA, MI6, the Mossad, and so on, across the whole globe. You can't do anything. You can't start up a poetry club without government coming in and checking you out, even if you know it or not, but you're being checked. And it's been like that long before 9-11. And many of these terrorist organizations were set up by the CIA or MI6. To continue with the report, it says, A report is both a warning and a call to action. We face serious and worsening international security challenges. I wonder why. I was reading somewhere that the U.S. has over 700 military bases across the planet now. 700 of them. And all these different countries that they're policing we face security worsening security and international security challenges but provided we are willing to learn lessons to change the way we think to find the necessary political will and to adapt our policy solutions and instruments to new circumstances there is much that can be done we offer this interim report as a contribution to the necessary process of policy change that must now unfold and you can download the whole PDF file and go through it. And all it will do is reiterate what I've said already and, and back up what they've already told us that they're going to do. Safety. Peace and safety. Do you know how much money all our governments in the West have spent from the 1940s on the special bacterial and viral warfare departments and the specialists they trained to do it and how many diseases they've created. And you're talking about some 
character in his basement. Hypocrisy, eh? Hypocrisy on a mass, mass scale. I was thinking, you see, this is part of what they call the top, and they discussed it in many of their meetings back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and up to the present. They call it the noble lie. The idea is the people, the rabble, you see, the people below the unwashed masses are just too dumb and, and stupid and dim-witted to understand what's good for them. And therefore, they think like children. Therefore, they will tell you some big lie, the noble lie, because it's, it's supposedly for a noble purpose. You, you simply were too childish to understand. In fact, you might dig your heels in and refuse to go along with it. The noble lie. Now, the noble lie is like the big foundations. Foundations, remember, came out of Freemasonry that led revolutions, and they boast about it openly in their own publications. But they also they use architectural terminology to lay out their plan. And so they create foundations, and these foundations front for those who really rule the world and always have done by funding NGOs, etc., the new Soviet system, the worldwide Soviet system. And since their premise, as I say, is, is that everyone else down there at the bottom is stupid and thick and childish and stubborn, then they must guide the world. They've taken it upon themselves to, to guide the world, being better bred. See, because they're all, all these foundations had their beginnings again, along with Freemasonry, in eugenics and superior types, inferior types, all to do with Darwinism, which concluded that the superior types had the right to dictate how the rest should live and what policies should be put forward and which direction the world should go. But remember, the noble lie, as we're going through all this hype, hype, hype from the mainstream media to terrify the bejesus out of us, could never ever bring us into any truth, anything that's based on a lie to begin with, no matter how they dress it up about noble causes and so on, will remain a lie. In fact, it'll simply multiply into many lies. And that's what we're seeing. You cannot get truth from anything that begins in deception and lying. It leads to contempt for the people down below. How far back have they discussed this technique? And they call it technique, scientific technique. And I've talked about Bertrand Russell until I'm sure you're fed up hearing about him. But he was a big player. And many of the policies that are still being enacted today were dreamed up by him. He was given this British lord, remember, the blue blood, was given experimental schools for the first time in Britain where he could do things which people even today would still be hung, drawn, and quartered for. Because he knew the type of world that his own kind wanted to bring in. It was he who was part of the creation of the sexual revolution, using scientific techniques and the media to do it. It destroyed the family unit. It was a must-be. And he talks about 
This back in 1931, two years before Huxley, his pal, both in the same club and both later members of MI6, came out with his book, Brave New Worlds. See, they both belong to the same organizations. And this book is a scientific outlook, Bertrand Russell, 1931. Page 181, he says, Psychoanalysis as a psychological theory consists in the discovery of the desires usually unconscious, which inspire belief, especially in dreams and in insane delusions, but also in all the less rational parts of our normally sane working life. Considered as a therapeutic so psychoanalysis is a technique which aims at substituting impersonal for personal desires as sources of belief wherever personal desires have become so dominant as to interfere with social behavior. The technique of psychoanalysis where adults are concerned is as yet slow, cumbrous, and expensive. The most important applications of psychoanalytic theory are to education. See? Education, right to the children again. Did he dream this up? No. He got all the data from Pavlov that was already using it in the Soviet Union. Who funded the Soviet Union into existence? The Western powers and the banks. These applications are as yet an an experimental stage and owing to the hostility, the hostility of the authorities, they can only be made on a very small scale. It is, however, already evident that moral and emotional education has hitherto been conducted on wrong lines. See, the family and their heritage was all wrong, you see, and has produced maladjustments, maladjustments, which have been sources of cruelty, timidity, stupidity, and other unfortunate mental characteristics. This is from a guy who was so inbred he had no chin. He says, I think it is possible that psychoanalytic theory may be absorbed into something more scientific but I do not doubt that something of what psychoanalysis has to suggest in regard to education will be found permanently valid and of immense importance. Now, he knew this, as I say, because he'd been trying all these new-agey things on the children back in the 1920s in very quiet, hush-hush schools, where he's experimenting on them and encouraging pre-pubertal sex and stuff like that at a time when people who were pedophiles simply disappeared from local communities very quickly. He had authority from the Crown to conduct these experiments. At the bottom of the page 183, it says, so far we have been conducting those ways of influencing the mental life which proceed by mental means, the psychoanalysis, or by means of the conditioned reflex as behaviorism. There are, however, other methods which may in time prove of immense importance. These are the methods which operate through physiological means, such as the administration of drugs. He wanted to drug the entire population to create good citizens, just like Huxley. The cure, and he goes on to say that the curing of cretinism by means of iodine is so far the most remarkable of these methods. So he's using this as a reason for drugging the population to alter their behavior. He says... The effects of alcohol, opium, and various other drugs have been long been familiar, but these effects are on the balance harmful unless the drug is taken with usual, unusual moderation. There is, however, no a priori reason why drugs should not be discovered which have a wholly beneficial effect. 
I have never myself observed any but good effects to flow from the drinking of tea. It's using, so he's using tea in conjunction with psycho, uh, psychotherapeutic drugs. Then he says, this is one of the most eminent philosophers of our day, regards his superiority to his brothers, perhaps humorously, as due to the fact that shortly before his birth, his mother was in carriage, which rolled down the simplum in an accident. I do not suggest that this method should be adopted in the hope of turning us all into philosophers, but perhaps in time we shall discover some more peaceable means of endowing the fetus with intelligence. It was what last year, last, this was 1931, last year they started to go into the womb with surgical instruments to alter the fetus and also administer certain drugs for psychiatry, psychiatric reasons. And this is how long ago, how long ago they planned it, 1931. And we're just hearing about it starting now. Coincidence again, eh? This is education used to begin at eight years old with the learning of Latin declensions. Now under the influence of psychoanalysis, it begins at birth. It is to be expected that with the advance of experimental embryology, the important part of education will be found to be prenatal. This is already the case with fishes and newts. But in regard to them, the scientist is not hampered by education authorities. In other words, the only thing that was hampering them was the old ideas of people who would get rather furious to see what he was on about. In page 187, he says, he says this, the technique in society. But anybody who is in earnest in studying the psychology of belief cannot do better than consult the great advertising firms. No test of belief is so searching as the financial one. When a man is willing to back his belief by spending money in accordance with it, his belief must be regarded as genuine. Now, this is precisely the test which the advertiser is perpetually applying. From the technique of advertising, it seems to follow that in the great majority of mankind, any proposition will win acceptance if it is reiterated, repeated, in such a way as to remain in the memory. They found you need to repeat things eight times. It doesn't matter how many different sources give you the same message. As long as you get it eight times, you'll be downloaded and you'll parrot it off. Is most of the things that we believe, we believe because we have heard them affirmed. We do not remember where or why they were affirmed and why, and we are therefore unable to be critical even when the affirmation was made by a man whose income would be increased by its acceptance and was not backed by any evidence whatever. Advertisements tend, therefore, as the technique becomes perfected to be less and less argumentative and more and more merely striking. So long as an impression is made, the desired result is achieved. Considered scientifically, advertisements have another great merit, which is that their effects, so far as is known through the receipts of the advertisers, are mass effects. They're after the mass man, you see, and women. Not effects upon individuals, so that data acquired are data as to mass psychology. For the purposes of studying society rather than individuals, Advertisements are therefore invaluable. Unfortunately, their purpose is practical rather than scientific. That was back in the 30s. And you can see the advantages of advertisements or advertising have come to be realized pretty fully by politicians but are only beginning to be realized by the churches. It says, when the churches become more fully alive to its advantages as compared with the traditional religious technique, 
which takes back before the invention of printing, we may hope for a great revival of faith. Now, he was talking about the creation of a new religion for the world back then, because I'll have his other books as well, where he was into it. On the whole, the Soviet government and the communist religion are those which hitherto have the best understood the use of advertisement. They are, it is true, somewhat hampered by the fact that most Russians cannot read that was back then. This obstacle, however, they are now doing their best to remove. This consideration brings us naturally to the subject of education, which is the second great method of public propaganda. Education has two very different purposes. On the one hand, it aims at developing the individual and giving him knowledge which will be useful to him. On the other hand, it aims at producing citizens who will be convenient for the state um, yeah, could be for the state or the church which is educating them. Up to a point, these two purposes coincide in practice. It is convenient to the state that citizens should be able to read and that they should possess some technical skill in virtue of which they are able to do productive work. So it's for work purposes for the state. It's convenient that they should possess sufficient moral character to abstain from un- unsuccessful crime and sufficient intelligence to be able to direct their own lives. So in other words, it was to create a type of citizenry as well. You'll find the same thing written about in Webster's speeches in the 1800s when he talked about creating the perfect American citizen. But when we pass beyond these elementary requirements, the interests of the individual may often conflict with those of the state or the church. And I'll go into this in more detail because it's a very important part of the true reality that rules your lives and gives you your reality. Back with after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt, cutting through the Matrix pretty fast tonight because I'm trying to get a lot in. Uh, because this book is very important to show you, for you to understand that these characters at the top who belong to big, powerful institutions backed by royalty knew exactly where the whole century was going because they planned it that way. In fact, we grew up in their schooling system. The revolutions that we thought we went through, sexual, etc., were all planned by them too. I'm trying to show you that the future that's still to come is already planned as well. Getting back to page 190 of the Scientific Outlook by Bertrand Russell, he says, This is especially the case in regard to credulity. That means credulity, understanding, belief. To those who control publicity, credulity is an advantage, while to the individual, a power of critical judgment is likely to be beneficial. Consequently, the state does not aim at producing a scientific habit of mind, except in a small minority of experts who are well paid, and therefore, as a rule, are supporters of the status quo. Among those who are not well paid, credulity is more advantageous to the state. Consequently, the children in school are taught to believe what they are told and are punished if they express disbelief. In this way, a conditioned reflex is established, Pavlovian, you see, leading to a belief in anything said authoritatively by elderly persons of importance. You and I, reader, this is him talking to his own kind, you and I, reader, or immunity from spoilation, to this beneficent uh, precaution on the part of our respective governments. Now he's talking to his own class there. He went to very old, old granite stone Ivy universities. 
modern inventions and modern technique have had a powerful influence in promoting uniformity of opinion, you see, standardizing opinion, and making men less individual than they used to be. You remember what they said, the enemy of a global society in a totalitarian system is individuality. So they're making men less individual than they used to be. Read, for example, The Stammering Century by Gilbert Seldes and compare it with America at the present day. It says, but in the modern world, there are three great sources of uniformity in addition to education. These are the press, the cinema, meaning movies, and the radio. Of course, never had TV then. We'll add that to it as well. And then jumping to the cinema here on page 195, to the movies, he says, let us be thankful for the lofty purity of their sentiments, talking about the film establishment. Actually, I'll go 1994. The most important of all the modern agents of propaganda is the cinema. Where the cinema is concerned, the technical reasons for large-scale organizations leading to almost worldwide uniformity are overwhelming. The costs of a good production are colossal, but are no less if it is exhibited seldom than if it is exhibited often and everywhere. The Germans and the Russians have their own productions, and those of the Russians are, of course, an important part of the Soviet government's propaganda. In the rest of the civilized world, the products of Hollywood preponderate. The great majority of young people in almost all civilized countries derive their ideas of love, of honor, of the way to make money, and the importance of good clothes from the evening spent in seeing what Hollywood thinks good for them. I doubt whether all the schools and churches combined have as much influence as the cinema upon the opinions of the young in regard to such intimate matters as love and marriage and money-making. Priests of Hollywood are the high priests of a new religion. Let us be thankful for the lofty purity of their sentiments. Well, it's been a rush night, and I think the music's coming back in again. So I've got about two feet of snow up here so far, well, with all this global warming. And I'll try to stay warm. From Hamish, myself, Ontario, Canada, it's good night. And may your God or your gods go with you.